1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now here's your host, Jay Taylor.
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Uh, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, uh, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? With regard to Chen's newsletter, uh, you do need to sign up uh, for a waiting list, on a waiting list, because uh, Chen is not accepting new subscribers at the time, uh, for the time being. He does accept new subscribers at the beginning of each quarter. Um, and so if you are interested in becoming a subscriber to this, uh, uh very very successful newsletter you do need to go to miningstocks.com that's miningstocks.com and uh sign in there for uh put your name on the waiting list and uh based on the number of people who decide not to renew chen will be accepting new subscriptions uh into the uh next quarter uh, I should like to remind you, however, that uh, my newsletter, uh, you do not have to be put on a waiting list there. You can sign up for it any time. And I would also like to say that uh, certainly some of the uh, ideas that Chen passes on to his subscribers uh, uh, sort of get through to my subscribers as well. Certainly, uh, I have my own ideas. I have a lot of my, uh, I th- companies that I think are going to do extremely well and have done very well, uh, but also I do value very highly. Chen's insights and he does pass along, uh, a lot of information to me and, uh, with his permission do pass that on from time to time to my subscribers. In particular, right now, uh, some refinery stocks that Chen likes very much that I also like very much, I think, have a great deal of a uh, promise and, uh, um, for investors at this point in time. And this is really, uh, a way to play the energy boom that is pay- taking place now in the United States. Uh, so, uh, it is the refining stock stocks and uh, some of the pipeline stocks that are also uh, involved with that play also look very, very attractive, providing some very substantial yields right now, uh, that, uh, at a time when any kind of meaningful yield is very difficult to come uh, to come by. Well, we do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Uh, for the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Brazil Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Dynacor Gold Mines, Golden Arrow Resource Corporation, Miranda Gold, Precipitate Gold, and Renaissance Gold. I will have more to say about some of these companies and some more investment ideas uh, in the second hour of today's show following our second guest, uh, which is G. Edward Griffin, who's going to be with us again today. But I will talk a little bit more about um, well, about the companies that are sponsors and some other investment ideas that I have um, uh, in that second hour at about 4.30 or so New York time. Well, this show is largely about financial markets. Uh, I have gotten I got interested in gold way back a long time ago before the last bull market in gold because I had a professor at Heston College named Dr. Peyton Yoder who was absolutely convinced there was a correlation between uh, the debasing of currency and the morality of a nation uh, and that nation's work ethics. And I thought that was a very interesting concept, so I watched what was going on. Uh, during that time frame, uh, during the late 60s, uh, with the Vietnam War going on and with uh, Americans clamoring for some socialism and easier life. And so we started to... Uh I started to watch what was going on and interestingly enough it seems to me after all these years that Dr. Peyton Yoder was absolutely right. That in fact what is happening is a reallocation of wealth and a notion throughout the country that you can get rich without working for it. That you can, uh, you can game the system as it were. And in fact the economic incentives have been put in place to Make that possible. So what are we seeing these days? We're seeing some of the brightest minds not go into medicine, not go into engineering, not going into disciplines and into businesses and endeavors that will enrich people, but rather we find more and more that people, uh, the brightest minds in the country are going on Wall Street and they're devising uh, gaming schemes to... Uh, to reallocate wealth in their direction instead of creating wealth reallocation of wealth well this is actually what socialism is all about it's not about creating wealth it's about reallocating wealth and capitalism is really the key to uh, to building and uh, gaining wealth uh, in a society well if you disincentize uh, disinten- if you if you lose a, if you get rid of the incentives to allow people to work hard and profit from their labors and you penalize that and reward people who are not inclined to work or are not able to work, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, you're going to, I think you're going to have real problems. But it's not only the economic problems that we're concerned about. We're really very much concerned about liberty and freedom. As Ron Paul has said on this show in the past, that if we can retain our liberties – we will most certainly will do well financially uh and materially and the country can grow and prosper economically if we have our liberties, but take those away from us, take away free markets and uh and, and take away the uh, uh the uh the allocation of uh, resources, of scarce resources by millions of participants in the market and put it in the hands of a few uh a few uh, people, the elitist at the top of the society, and you're gonna run into big trouble and you're going to have uh, a decline in the wealth uh, of the nation. Well, I believe that Dr. Peyton Yoder was right. I believe that what's happened is, with the creation of the Federal Reserve, getting rid of gold in 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard, that paved the way for the problems we're having today, and it also made possible, as Alan Greenspan knew so well, when he wrote his article in Gold and Economic Freedom back in 1961, I believe it was, in Ayn Rand's uh, publication, uh, Alan Greenspan understood that you had to get rid of gold if you wanted to create socialism. Well, we have socialism and we have it in spades. And today we're going to be talking about some of the liberties that we're losing along with our economic freedom. Uh, back in December 14, 2010, uh, I interviewed uh, Lieutenant General William Boykin. Uh, Boykin, uh, Lieutenant, Boykin uh, Lieutenant General Boykin is a Green Beret and a student of Marxism, and he explained on my show way back then, back in December 2010, that the U.S. did not, in fact, win the Cold War. Yeah, we may have won a battle, but the Marxist-Communist model is now taking over, he said, in America. He said America's march towards communism is very much in place. Uh, he, he said um, that um, uh, he, he gave several steps uh, that uh, are in place now towards uh, this Marxist model. Uh, he, he said nationalism of major industries, redistribution of wealth on many uh, and growing fronts, lies and propaganda against traditional values, censorship, um, and in that way, he was talking about hate crimes and how hate crimes are being used, uh, for censorship, outlawing of guns, uh, gun ownership, and establishment of a constabulatory police force. That is a police force in which people are asked to, um, uh, are, are asked to snitch against each other to, uh, to report each other to the authorities. Well, a constabulatory uh, police force, uh, this is what Hitler used uh, with his brown shirts. Obama, uh, President Obama said when he was running for president the first time that, quote, if elected, he would establish a national civilian security force as large as and as well-equipped as the U.S. military, end of quote. So General Boykin was wondering why in the world do we need to have that kind of military force inside the United States? Well, uh, Today in my second hour, I'm going to be talking to, um, G. Edward Griffin, uh, the creature of Jekyll Island. Uh, he's going to be with me again to talk about the people, the powers behind the throne, uh, the people that have been put in place and, uh, the real, uh, the people that he believes are calling the shots. The creature from Jekyll Island is a book I think everybody should read, um, and to try to have a sense of what is really going on in the country. Uh, Griffin believes that we are manipulated by our universities and, and and by our mainstream media uh, to such a great extent in our thought process and that we are uh, actually willingly giving up our liberties uh, for the case of a bowl of porridge today. So um, given various people that we've had on our show, today's guest – um, i'm going to be talking to dr garrow uh well dr garrow has uh, has become very prominent on the internet recently for some charges some allegations he says uh, a litmus test that president obama is requiring of high ranking military officials specifically dr garrow says that those officials are being asked to uh promise or to swear that they would uh that their allegiance would be to the president of the united states and not to uh and not to the constitution Well, the the commissioned officer oath of office uh, is as follows, and I quote, I, having been appointed a, um, a rank in the United States branch of service, do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion and that I will will well and faithfully discharge the office upon which I am about to enter. So help me God. End of quote. That is the oath of office that uh, commissioned officers are required to take in the U.S. military. Well, according to Dr. James Garrow, who's going to be with me here about 4.30 today, uh, Garrow is saying that President Obama is requiring uh high-ranking officers in the military uh to uh a litmus test that they will in fact ignore the constitution and follow the commander in chief uh this of course then would remove the ability to uh, of their own conscience uh if they believe that the president is acting in a way that is contrary to the united to the constitution so um, this is a very very serious issue uh having uh, General Boykin in the past on this show and other people like Ed Griffin and a host of other people, it doesn't come as a complete surprise. I uh, can only hope and, and pray that it isn't true that uh, Jim Garrow uh, is some sort of a deranged paranoid or, um, or that he is just mistaken somehow. But I go back to General Boykin's discussion with me back in December of 2010 uh, and he noted that in Obama's healthcare care legislation, there's a provision in times of emergency that the president can commission officers that will work directly for him outside of the military. <clears throat> that sounds like a constabulatory force uh, that he was talking about. Um, you know, when I ride the subways in New York City or go to the airports uh, in New York City's uh, uh, subways where there's constantly a message that comes out, it says one uh if you see something, say something. You're supposed to turn in uh, your fellow citizens, and, and certainly uh, if you do see something, you you should say something. I'm not saying you shouldn't, uh, but we're constantly being reminded to look at each other with suspicious eyes and try to find a way. Uh, you know, to, I think we're being prepared to turn on our fellow Americans. I hope I'm wrong about that. Uh, the airports uh, certainly are, are telling you that as well when you're at the airport. If you see something, say something. Uh, this seems entirely alien to me um, and to the American, uh, the America that our founding fathers risked their lives to create against a, a dictator from England, the king of England. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said uh, that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. So my thinking here is that even if Dr. Garrow is wrong... And I sincerely hope that he is. Uh, that what is lost if we are if we are asking these questions. What what is wrong with asking these questions? Um, better that we do uh, than we than we fall asleep and allow uh, some sort of dictatorship to gradually but surely take control of us. So we are going to be talking to Dr. Garrell. Uh, but before we get to Dr. Garrell, we're going to have a bit more of a tame subject. We're going to, uh, we're going to be talking to my friend Gene Epstein. Uh, Gene is going to talk to us about the upcoming Junto meetings this Thursday in New York City. Uh, and, uh, he also has some ideas about, um, how we might do better to cut back government a little bit, if not, uh, if not very quickly, but at least gradually in some ways reduce the role of government, and let the uh, private sector take over. And certainly that would be in keeping with the ideals of our founding fathers. Well, so we do have to go to a break now. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking to Gene Epstein of Barron's. Gene um, is going to talk to us um, about, uh, in praise of a slimmer Uncle Sam, and as I said, he'll also tell us about the upcoming meeting in the New York City Junto that's held in Midtown Manhattan each and every, well, the first Thursday of each month. And, uh, we missed Gene last, last month because we had a holiday on our, uh, on our, on our uh, Tuesday uh, before the show. Uh, but he's going to be back with us and I'm really looking forward to talking to Gene. So we're going to take a commercial break and when we come back, we'll be with Gene Epstein. Don't go away. Be right back.
0: Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold.
2: Windfall profits happen frequently in gold exploration stocks, but the risk of losses are also common. Miranda Gold enhances prospects of shareholder gains by combining the intellectual capital of geologists, minefinders Ken Cunningham and Joe Herbert with other people's hard dollars in search for elephant-sized gold deposits in politically safe places like Nevada and Columbia. That keeps shareholder dilution to a minimum, so when discoveries are made, major gains are possible. For more, go to MirandaGold.com. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Gene Epstein, who writes The Economic Beat for Barron's, and he uh, reviews books for Barron's as well. Um, really enjoyed reading his uh, his latest uh, review of some books, um, The Soul of the New Capitalism, uh, last week's Barron's, and several very noteworthy books in there, one of which uh, was reviewed by Mark Skousen, who will be a guest on this show in a couple of weeks following Peter Schiff. We'll have two of them on on the nineteenth. But there's several books there. Um, uh, this is uh, Progress uh, Blaming Andrew Jackson was another one, uh, and there was one uh, also, uh, A Thousand Year Tour: Economics and Freedom, uh, by Walter Block, who I know, and uh, we'll hope to get Walter Block on the show sometime in the in the near term. Well, welcome, Gene. It's really good to have you back again. Good to be back. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was your wife who told me that you eat books. You, uh, and you know, in uh, the New Year's Eve celebration, I was... Uh, thank you very much for inviting me and Teresa there. We uh, to your place, so we saw the library that you have, Gene. It is an amazing library. I think probably only the big one on uh, up there in Midtown is bigger. But uh, yeah. no, well, right. now I, I do have
3: to. I, I uh, I'd have a much bigger library if I if I had a larger a larger apartment. <laughs> I I my problem now has been that all my new books are stored on my Kindle, where they're much less portable, and that's uh, so I'm helping to to shut the bricks and mortar bookstores down unfortunately i just said, don't own a barn and can't uh, can't store all the books i'm accumulating so it's got well, to go into the kindle yeah that's right I, I miss the
2: i don't like the kindle compared to the uh, the hard books the, the physical books you can actually underline and write mm-hmm. things in the mm-hmm. margins but in any event mm-hmm. um, so, uh, we've got you talking here about your, your latest. So, well, first before we get into your latest article, uh, talk to us about, uh, New York City Junto. It's coming up this Thursday, the first Thursday of every week. It's the meeting starts at seven. People gather at seven. They, you start to, uh, put things in order at seven thirty and bring on the guest and introduce him. It's the General Society Library at 20 West 44th Street between 5th and 6th Avenues. It's free. You don't have to have reservations. You can just go there. It's a wonderful time. There's lots of very intelligent people that go there and Gene you always have somebody very interesting and very intelligent to uh, to talk to uh, to those that gather there so who's your guest going to be this time?
3: Well uh, this uh, this time again it's the first Thursday of each month uh it will be uh, the guest will be uh, Ivan Eland, who's a libertarian foreign policy expert, who author of several books, including The Empire Has No Clothes, and most recently a book called No War for Oil. And I'm going to have uh, Ivan uh, go over what he conceives of as the eleven myths about the oil market and about the idea that we need to trade blood for oil. I read Ivan's uh, superb book and he does point out that uh, Jimmy Carter made it clear that uh, we may have to trade blood for oil. George H.W. Bush made it clear that uh, we were trading blood for oil by attacking Saddam Hussein when he invaded Kuwait and uh, there are those who believe uh, including new conservatives that the real point of invading Iraq under George W. Bush uh, was that we had to trade blood for oil and uh, Ivan is, uh, as a libertarian uh, he's going to point out that uh, we can live in a peaceful world and still have oil Um, and I've been especially pleased by the way the Junto has developed in terms of format that uh... Vic Niederhofer, who uh, who funds Junto, has been pushing me in the direction of making it more interactive, and we found, I think, a very good way to do that, to have the speaker uh, speak in chapters, uh, devote maybe 10 minutes to 15 minutes to putting out uh, a point and then uh, getting comments and discussion from the audience before we go on to the next point. It makes for a very lively session, and it also uh, enables the speaker to uh, to address the audience much more directly. So we're going to run every meeting, including... This coming one in that according to that format.
2: Well, that sounds very good. I, I do know that since uh, you've taken over there, I think uh, Vic asked you to take over at some point in time. That ever since you have, uh, the meetings have gotten better, and I want to thank you very much for your uh, for your uh, ability to 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 keep the order uh, and to have a. Uh, a, a cordial discussion. I mean, it's always a uh, the people really have different ideas and they're free to express those ideas, but it is always kept very uh, civil and, and cordial. It's uh, it's a very good time. I would very very much suggest that if you live in the New York City area and are able to get to Midtown Manhattan. Uh, Thursday, this coming Thursday, that you do so. Well, let's talk a little oh, bit about give
3: you all an opportunity to meet Jay Taylor, since he's been a he's been a pretty faithful uh, attendee of these meetings. Uh, thanks, Jay. Go
2: ahead. Yeah, I do go to those meetings, and honestly, you know, I really enjoy just going there and listening. Gene, you know, I'm I'm I've had enough time on stages and radio and and television and stuff that I I really realize you know, as I've gotten older, that I don't know very much, and it's just better to shut your mouth and listen to <laughs> smart people sometimes. So that's what I really yeah. enjoy. Doing on this show, and I'm, and you're, of course, one of those smart people because you eat books, so no doubt about that, and and you definitely have an enormous amount of uh, intelligence that goes through that head of yours, and how you're able to store all that, I don't know, but uh, the economic beat column, I'd like to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. Your last, uh, your last story, uh, you would like to see a slimmer Uncle Sam. Talk to us about why.
3: Well, the the key reason why um is that uh in you know the the that Really, uh, everybody has to see a slimmer Uncle Sam, even those like Obama who want a much fatter Uncle Sam. Or to put it another way, those like Obama who want a much fatter Uncle Sam will have to be honest and tell us all, not just the millionaires and billionaires and not just the top 2%, that if you want to realize the kind of society that Obama envisions, then you all will all. The middle class, the the lower income class, uh, the upper income class, we have to pony up big time and pay more in taxes. Uh, The billionaires and millionaires are just not enough. The federal budget is gradually rising uh, from 25% of GDP up to 30%, up to 40%. And uh, it's not just me who says that. Uh, The Congressional Budget Office keeps saying that and keeps pointing out that by the 2020s and 2030s, the baby boomer time bomb will truly start to explode. And that unless um, we can balance the budget, the debt is going to start to climb from from currently 70% of GDP uh, up to 150%. And according to last year's projection, they uh, put it at 200% of GDP by 20. 37, and then it will rise further by the early 2040s. It will be at 250% of GDP. To put that in context, uh, the the country uh, in the industrialized world that has the highest percentage of GDP, uh, not a difficult quiz, that's Greece. Greece has a debt-to-GDP ratio of 150%. Mm-hmm. We're going to outdo Greece at the rate that we are going. And again, as the Congressional Budget Office, not just me, points out that you might be able to end welfare as we know it, as Clinton did in the 90s, when welfare recipients are in their 20s and 30s. But um, if uh, the elder care explosion is something that you can't end overnight. Um, You can't tell 75-year-olds who are dependent on Medicare and Social Security that they've got to do something different. That's the reason why the government has Got to start slimming down right now uh, unless of course again unless of course obama is honest enough to say we've got to tax the middle class big time uh, we've got to hike taxes on everyone those are the grim choices and my point is that as a libertarian course, I want a slimmer uh, government. I believe that if you took, uh, just for starters, uh, talked about what government uh, spends um, on that is absolutely harmful, uh, if you talked about what government spends on that is just wasteful but maybe not harmful, or if you talked to what government spends money on that is so marginally useful, if that, that the resources are better left to the private sector, I believe that a 25% share, a 23% share today of government to GDP could be shrunk to uh, 8 or 9%. But uh, that's my belief as a libertarian. My point is uh, that uh, everyone, including Obama, um, has got to face the facts as stated over and over by the Congressional Budget Office that a slimmer government is necessary if we're going to avoid a fiscal crisis sometime in the next 20, 25 years.
2: Well, Gene, you know, as a libertarian, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, uh, let's get down to eight percent. Let's get down below that, even if. Mm-hmm. It were, but is it politically possible? Here we're looking at, uh, you know, planned uh, sort of cuts that uh, Paul Ryan's talking about of the one to two percent yeah. range is being uh, violently objected
3: to by by Obama and by the Democrats, yeah. right? Yes. Well, absolutely. I mean, the the, the other, uh, what I've been covering in my column, which is uh, a more limited uh, perspective in terms of what's been recently happening, is that uh, there have been uh, alarms being sounded about this idea that austerity in government is a disaster. Uh, in a column of a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned uh, two articles, one in the New Yorker, one in the New York Times, both of them trying to argue that massive cutbacks in in, in Great Britain uh, have brought a, an economic slowdown in Britain now amazingly uh, to some but not really surprising to, the, to, 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 uh, to to someone like me who knows who reads The Times and The New Yorker. neither article attempted to cite the actual figures on what uh, the uh, government 's budget has been doing, but uh, whether there actually has been a slimmer budget in fact, you find that if you look up the numbers. The the national budget in the United Kingdom is about flat. There have been no cutbacks. And yet... Uh, when there have been no cutbacks, the New York Times and the New Yorker are capable of saying that severe austerity uh, on on, on the federal level in Britain is bringing a recession. So we've we've gotten to that kind of of alarmism and lunacy um, on the part of the liberal press. Uh, On top of that, um, we have the myth that the U.S. government is slimming down. Last week, there was an article in the New York Times in which they actually said that there are steep cutbacks in government. I went into the technicalities of that and tried to point out how they could get that confused, but in fact, it, it was an easy enough matter to look up Congressional Budget Office numbers that showed that in the fourth quarter of, uh, of, of 2012, spending was 3.5% higher than it was in the fourth quarter of 2011. There have been no cutbacks uh, in, in the federal government, and no. yet, they're already talking about steep cutbacks as though they really exist. Uh, yeah. So that's, that is appalling. The only well, hope... Is 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 my form of alarmism? But what were you going to say? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, no, exactly. I think alarmism
2: is right. I I think I'm, when I'm listening to you talk about no cuts being uh, being considered cuts by the New York Times, I think it was Jeff Dice, Ron Paul's chief of staff, who says that basically, you know, all when they talk about cuts, government's not talking about reducing the growth of government so much mm-hmm. as they're just talking about cutting the rate of growth. Is yeah. that what they're talking about? Perhaps that's what they're complaining well, oh, about. Course.
3: No, in, uh, well, there's no question that that's what is usually talked about—that cuts in government are almost invariably uh, the Mister McCorber kind of economics. Um, you're going to cut your increase in spending. You know, you're going you're to keep increasing spending, but at a slower rate. Uh, now, uh, my point is only that uh, the, the truly the only way to get anyone to rally around uh, this uh, th- this need to cut government, since so many politicians and citizens have their different ideologies. Is to make it clear to them that it's a financial necessity. Uh, you know, Paul Samuelson, the great liberal economist, and I yield to many in my respect for Paul Samuelson. I think he was a deluded uh, person, and of course, unfortunately, the guy who wrote the most popular textbook in the in the country uh, that was the most popular textbook for so many years celebrated the fact that Social Security was a Ponzi scheme. Uh, we we are living in a Ponzi a Ponzi economy. It's all about Ponzi. Um Politicians are Ponzi schemers. They're constantly making commitments and spending money and putting it off into the future. And the future is about 20 years away. The future is grim because it's simple enough to look at the demographics, to extrapolate the trend, and to, and to understand that unless uh, uh, tax revenues rise substantially, unless we're willing to tax ourselves to the point of financing a a government-to-GDP ratio of about 50%, uh, that we've got to cut back. We've got to do something about the explosion in entitlements. So that's a message, hopefully, that everyone can appreciate, uh, and not just libertarians.
2: Well, thank you, Gene. Thank you. We are out of time, unfortunately. It always goes so fast when you're with me, but I, I think, uh, we need to thank you. It's not good news, but it is what it is. And, and the best thing we can do is to realize the problems that we're having and then try to deal with them. And, uh, you I'll know, you're talking the, about 20 years away. Um, it's, yeah, sure. it's. It's, it's difficult, but it's uh, something that we have to do, and I think uh, all we can do is to tell our friends and try to convince people <laughs> that there are some very, very severe uh, problems out there so that we can try to put our house in order. Thank you very much, Gene, for being right. with us. Uh, folks, we're going to be talking to James Garrow at the, uh, on the other side of the break, and James uh, is not thinking we've got 20 years. I think James thinks that we've got some big problems. Um, some big problems with respect to our liberty right now. uh... and he's making some very alarming claims uh... i don't want to hear this i want to believe he's wrong but if he's right we better know about it uh, so uh, stick around and listen to what james Garrow has to say don't go away we'll be right back
0: voice america business network the bottom line in business
1: Or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001.
4: Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters
0: we're always talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Dr. James Garrow. Uh, he's a respected human rights activist who's been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize and the founder of the Pink Pogada Girls. That organization is responsible for saving, as I understand it, the lives of over 50,000 children, I think mostly Chinese children. And Dr. Garrow has a resume that reads like that of a true Renaissance man. His background in education is wide-ranging. Uh, with stints as a principal school board trustee and special needs teacher and he created his own internet business and ran a flight school as well james holds an honorary doctorate in theology from a school in north carolina and a uh... teaching degree from the university of toronto and he runs a language business uh, called the Bethune Institute named after Dr. Norman Bethune, the Canadian physician who is viewed as a hero in China for his medical service there in the late 1930s. The Institute runs a for-profit course uh, courses uh, in Canadian and U.S. cities and is affiliated with 168 Chinese uh, schools. Welcome, Dr. Garrow, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times.
5: Well, thank you for having me, Jay. It's nice to be here.
2: It's uh, really, really good to have you. Uh, a very interesting video. I mean, this is what happens uh, with the Internet. We have a chance to meet people from around the world, ideas, and certainly the Internet is, I think, probably the mechanics for democracy, for an ability for people to, to talk to each other. Um, But before we get started on the topic that I want to talk to you about, of course, the one that I think a lot of people are learning to know you about, the sort of shocking revelation or uh, allegations, at least, that our president is requiring a litmus test of of our high-ranking military officers to... Uh, as I understand it, not to obey the Constitution, but to obey the dictates of the President. Uh, That's the topic we really want to talk to you about. But before we get into that, can you talk a little bit about uh, Pink Pagoda? What is that about?
5: Well, uh, a number of years ago, I was a college president in Toronto. Uh, By the way, I have an earned doctorate in addition to the other, but Nobody seems to be doing the research on that, but that's okay. Um,
2: well, let's stop. Stop. Uh, talk. Talk to us about that. What is that uh, doctorate in? What is your?
5: Well, it's actually counseling. You know, it's uh, and I'm a member of the you know the association of uh, the National Association of School Psychologists in America, the American oh. School Counselor Association, um, the American Counseling Association. Actually, 14 groups. Um, you know, uh, that cost me about two thousand a year to belong to. Anyway, mm-hmm. so you you know they check out your credentials, you send in mm-hmm. your stuff, and they and they give you certifications. So uh, part of my work has been as a as a counselor mm-hmm. um, through our church as one uh, organization, but also you know I've even written letters t- uh, to the courts with respect to people uh, that mm-hmm. I've been counseling. So mm-hmm. we've had uh, we've had great impact that way. But back when I was a college president uh, in Toronto, I had a group of Chinese students who uh, were. Uh, in our school, and I had tried to make their stay in Canada, knowing what it's like to be a foreigner in a foreign land, Mm -hmm. uh, nice. And so I treated them well. When they had finished the the run of their courses, uh, they asked me if I would come back. There was a group, by the way, of 29 of them. But they Mm -hmm. asked me if I would honor them and come back to China so that they could honor me and show me around. So I did Mm -hmm. that summer, and I went for three weeks. They treated me like an absolute king. They were just wonderful. Toward the end of my stay, they asked me if I would help them start an English language school. Uh, I said yes, and then one school led to 8 to 20. Uh, I ended up uh, you know, quitting as a college president and uh, working full-time establishing schools in China. Mm. 168 is the old number from a few years ago, and mm-hmm. just recently we've uh, climbed to 268
2: schools total. Wow.
5: Now, it was it was in, in China that I actually ran across this thing of the one-child policy, mm-hmm. um, and it was as a result of one of my uh, assistants crying in the office uh, uncontrollably. She was kind of like the life-of-the-party kind of the party girl, and just it was totally strange to have her crying. Um, we, it turns out that when we found out what was going on, her, her sister had given birth to a baby girl, and, and the husband was insisting um, that they kill it, uh, in mm. essence, and uh, to make way for a, 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 ch- a boy, mm. um, you know, being a, the one-child policy, they only get one one chance at having a child. So, mm-hmm. uh, and so that freaked me out. I, I, had, I had never run into it. You hear these things, you know, but you know it's like rumors. You you mm-hmm. think, oh, it can't really be true. These people are so nice, you know, they can't do stuff like that. But sure enough, here it was, right in my face. So I said, whoa. Tell the husband that I'll take the child. Um, you don't kill the child. We'll we'll find somebody uh, for that child. So we we ended up having a negotiation. I flew halfway across China with a group of people, including the sister, convinced the gentleman to give us the baby. And uh, that baby now lives in the United States. We we found a, an adoptive couple right there. In fact, I played hockey with this guy, and uh, turns out he was the guy. <laughs>
2: We are um, having some sound problems here now. Uh, are you hearing me okay, doc- Dr. Garrell?
5: Yes, I hear you uh, well,
2: yes. Okay. Um, I'm just stressed. Uh, okay. All right. Well, I, c- I can hear you. I'm just, uh, the, the quality of sound isn't very good. I'm waiting for my engineer to tell me if we should continue here or use another process. I uh, usually use a phone from my end, but um, okay, the engineer says it's it's fine. So, okay, good. Let's let's okay. get on with it then. Well, that's, so then you got involved with this um, uh, in creating schools and is this, the, the one child policy is still in effect in China, is it not? Yes, it is, yes. Is this, I mean, if we, to what extent then are, are baby girls, um, done away with in favor of, of baby boys in China? Is that, is that something that's really widespread? And if that's the case, what does that mean for Chinese men that are growing up now?
5: Well, we know uh, from the provincial governments, because the feds uh, in China do not keep these stats, but when you add up the information we've been able to gather, uh, and this is old information, back in 2008 when we got this, uh, we ascertained that 8 million baby girls a year are actually murdered um, because of this one-child policy. But as you mentioned, what it's done... Uh, it's re- really reduced the birth, the normal birth ratio is 100 uh, girls to 106 males. Um, males are not as, uh, you know, robust, women survive better. Um, mm. And so, but, but what it's done in China, the ratio has skewed over to 100 um, uh, women to uh, 126 men. So, I mean, there's way more men. Uh, than than women available, so what do you do with with aggressive uh, uh, gentlemen uh, in your country? Well, you put them in the armed forces and so the burgeoning of the armed forces in in China um, is up to I believe it's up to one hundred and sixty million in their forces. Do you know how many are in the in the forces total in America?
2: Mm, no
5: eight eight million
2: oh. uh-huh.
5: And they're looking wow. at 160 million.
2: <laughs> What's wow. that tell? You? So where will they go? And that would seem to have some geopolitical implications. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, are they sending them to places like Africa for natural resources and things like that? Possibly.
5: Yes, they are. There's, they're all over the world. I mean, they're big time in, in South America. Uh, all over Africa, Yeah, and again, it's uh, it's a matter of, uh, you're right, you've nailed it, it's natural resources, that's what they're looking for. They're setting up special economic zones in America, even, um, and their aim is to collect on the debt, uh, and I get this from the Chinese side, not from the American side, but mm-hmm. their aim is to get uh, settlement of the debt, which is burgeoning daily um, from America, they want the natural resources of America.
2: Yeah, I want to get into that. That was one of the topics, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I'm, I'm realizing already that we're probably not going to have time to, to get very far with all that we have to talk to you about today in less than a half an hour. But um, the uh, getting back to the schools, so there's 268 of these schools. How are they financed? How are they funded?
5: Oh, they're, it's totally uh, cash-as-you-go from the Chinese people.
2: Oh, the Chinese um, people, okay.
5: Well, that's the way public education is in China. It's cash-as-you-go. Yeah. Uh, There is no property tax that uh, we would normally pay into um, in order to fund schools. So you go to a school of your choice, um, you get your child to the school and you pay cash for that education.
2: That sounds like a a freer situation than we have in America right now.
5: (laughs) The funniest thing is the fact that when you get to China, you're suddenly faced with the wild west of entrepreneurialism. It's unbelievable. Uh, Whereas in America uh, today, you're regulated to death. Well, over there, I mean, you got to see free capitalism working because it's there. Uh, It's amazing because it is not what you expect. But ask anyone who's been over to China recently, uh, who's been able to get out into the cities and the small villages. Everyone's got something to sell. Everyone's got something to make. And they're peddling their wares and people are buying them.
2: And uh, so, a lot less regulation there than we have here. So it really is true that capitalism is more alive and well in China than in, in the United States right now.
5: I'm, I'm going to say yes, and it's a sad mm-hmm. day when we have to declare that to be the truth.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's get to this issue. Um, the litmus test for officers and America's uh, move towards dictatorship is is the way I would would sort of characterize what you were talking about. Um, I saw the the interview that you did with Gary Franchi of uh, WHDN TV in Boston. Uh, yes. That has gained a lot of traction on the internet, has it not?
5: Apparently, yes. Yes. I, I uh, believe that it's, uh, it's had five hundred and fifty thousand views. That was the report I got earlier today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's nothing compared to what happened with Alex Jones, that had three million views and that the day that we went on.
2: Yeah. Well it's uh, okay so let's get to, let's the, the litmus test that you're talking about uh is is i understand it uh that president obama and i don't know that it would necessarily have to be obama it could have been bush it could be any president probably uh but obama at least this is the, what you're saying is that uh he is requiring top military uh officials uh officers uh, to swear allegiance to the President rather than the Constitution in essence, and in effect, if ordered to uh, to shoot Americans to fire on Americans, they will promise to do that rather than um, than having their own conscience come into play. Is that right
5: well, somewhat let me modify a little bit what you 've said because when when the person who brought it to me, who was a, a well known uh, military hero uh, in america he 's retired now, older gentleman. Um, he uh, called me because we've known each other for 17 years. Um, And what he wanted me to do was help him get the word out. And we we talked for about an hour, and and the man is quite the strategist, so you know, the things that I have done have not been without good direction. Um, But the message that he wanted to put out to the American people was that um, people are coming to him, military people are coming to him now, active duty people are coming to him saying that they have been asked uh, a question which uh, just shocked the life out of them um, about whether in a scenario where Americans were uh, being asked to lay down arms uh, in violation of their rights according to the Second Amendment and the Constitution um, to lay down those arms if they would not and the commander-in-chief or any officer above uh, the people being asked the question um, were asked to fire on American people uh, would you do it? And in the cases of the people coming back to the gentleman who called me, uh, they would not. They failed that litmus test, and they were forced out of their commissions.
2: All right. And so you, uh, your source, which I, I guess remains, um, he, he wishes not to come forth at this point in time at least and, and talk openly about it, um, has... Um, I guess he is, he, he's telling you that there was someone that in the military he knows who, uh, who, was, uh, who resigned because of this. Is that right? Well, yes.
5: I mean, we talked about one person because in the initial interviews, uh, they only asked me about one person, but he referred to many. And mm-hmm. since that point in time, uh, what we've seen, uh, maybe 50 different officers have come in different programs um, that I've been interviewed on, uh, open line shows, and they've said, yes, this is happening.
2: Um, is, it's my understanding that a military officer, when he takes the oath of office, is required to obey the Constitution. He swears to obey the Constitution, uh, not the President. Is that right?
5: Well, he, he does swear that, but he also, because of, by virtue of who the President is, the President also holds the office of Commander-in-Chief. Right. Uh, so within the military and, and uh, the expectation of how a person will act when they take the oath, uh, in the military, uh, the, mi- the Military Code of, of Conduct, I believe it's called, um, yeah, you've got to obey.
2: So, but if you're, if you're talking about high-ranking military officers, people that would have read the Constitution, I would hope, many, many of them would anyway, the people that come out of West Point or wherever, high-ranking officers uh, would probably have some understanding about the Constitution and the Second Amendment, uh, the the whole notion probably the um declaration of independence they would have read and the notion of what our government was supposed to be for the people uh and you know the, to serve the people in the, in the sense of keeping us safe and uh and free that uh that there might be some 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 uh, disagreement with respect to some of those high ranking officers uh and the um and the commander in chief is that the issue here
5: that's a major issue, yes, and it's caused, I believe, many uh, to leave. Um, and I think those numbers are—I mean, they'll come out if they're not hidden.
2: So, if a you know, if a um, if a high-ranking officer believes that his his allegiance is to the Constitution, yes, um, as I think it should be, because if we're a nation of laws and not a matri- nation of men, then the law should be the ultimate. Um, the ultimate authority should it not it seems to me
5: yes no and that's and that's the dilemma that the, these gentlemen are facing uh and what do you do if pushed uh, if pushed to uh either accept that the commander-in-chief is the authority and therefore you will do what he says uh or resign uh the honorable people are either resigning or acquiescing in the hopes of taking a stand
2: later i um you know i i wonder why after you know our constitution is two hundred thirty seven years old or something like that Why? why do you think this is happening now uh... well
5: boy it's a very complex set of circumstances but the direction of mr obama does not appear to gel with uh... the notion of the free american republic that you were given uh... what was crafted by the founding fathers uh... and if you look at the federalist papers um, the things that he is standing for, the moves that he is making, seem to be in violation of the spirit of and in the essence of what America is. It, a, a nation of laws, a republic, uh, you know, steeped in traditions that are based in a, a Judeo-Christian ethic, to tell you the truth. Because that's where those gentlemen take, took their first um, view of, of uh, the relationship between law, God, and government and people. Um, that's where it came from. So, what we're seeing, I believe, is is a breach of that spirit uh, that uh, is the foundation of America.
2: I have um, a, a left wing contact in Hollywood uh, who is a publicist, and she brings me some interesting people uh, here on this show. And uh, you know, because I like to I like to see perspectives from from not just one end of the spectrum. Uh, and some people on the left have some things that I think are worth listening to at times. But in any event, I passed on the video that you did uh, with uh, the gentleman in Boston. And she sent an email back to me. She said, quote, personally, I don't believe it. It sounds like right-wing gun nuts revving up fear that the government will take away our guns. Anything for gun nuts to keep their Bushmaster uh, assault weapons and high caliber magazines that gun nuts need to kill rabbits. Poppycock. That was what she said. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean this is, <laughs> but this is sort of what you expect from the left, I think, who, who can't get enough government. They believe well, the answer to everybody's problems is more government, right?
5: They're kind of talking to, you know, about, well, to the wrong guy if they're talking to me. Hey, I don't own any guns. Me. Either. Um, <laughs> you either, yeah. No. And, uh, I mean, I'm not a guy who goes out and, and shoots animals. I mean, never have, you know, can't do it. Um, but uh, there, there is a, uh, I mean, irrespective of, of whether you want to call someone a gun nut or not, uh, <laughs> there is something called your constitution with inalienable rights that are given yeah. by God, according mm-hmm. to your the writers of that, the framers of it. Um, and if that's the case, then... The people who are on the other side of the agenda are more nutty than the gun people because they have a right. Um, of course, there's the right to dissent on everything. I mean, that's what free America is about, the First Amendment. Uh, but there's a, a lot of people who just want to see the Second Amendment swept aside. And if anyone is on the, uh, on the path to despotism, to dictatorship, um, that's been what's gone on in the pattern of activity in the world. So for Mr. Obama, if that's his if that's his desire to become the dictator in America, the despot, um, then he's making
2: the right moves, isn't he? Yeah, it, it would seem so in in many ways uh, to me as well. I I think you know the we hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. That's that was in the Declaration of Independence that. That outlined what you just said. That, I think, though, is key, and we only have a minute left. I can't believe it. We should have uh, carved out more time. But the, the whole notion, uh, if you get rid of this notion that there is a supreme being, then don't you have to go, as all dictatorships do, to some strong-armed human being who puts us in our place and, and, and shackles us and takes away our liberties? Isn't that what happens if you get rid of God?
5: It's, it's the greatest slippery slope ever, and America was warned years ago by a, a gentleman named Francis Schaeffer, uh, who put together a series that said, uh, how should we then live? Basically, he was saying, how are we going to live if we get rid of
2: God? Yeah. Well, you know, we wanted, I wanted to talk to you about the China thing. Uh, we're definitely going to have to have you come back and, and get into more of the geopolitics and how all of this sort of fits together um, we are out of time, and we have a hard break, and I've got another guest coming. So we ha- we'll have to talk to you some more if you're willing to come back. Uh, could you come back sometime in the near future?
5: Oh, be happy to. Just uh, let's do it quickly.
2: <laughs> okay. Very good. Thank you very much, um, uh, Dr. Garrell, uh, and also thank us. Thank you for pointing out that uh, you have more than just an honorary PhD. You are a gentleman. <laughs> I, I really thank you very much for coming on. I want to talk to you some more in the near future, thank so you. Uh, we'll, we'll look forward to do th- doing that very soon. Well, folks, don't go away. When we come back, G. Edward Griffin is going to be with us, and he will probably be in agreement with Dr. Garrell because Griffin has told us a long time ago, the first, the very first guest on the show. Uh, I think things that sort of make what Dr. Garrell said fall into place and, and really seem very very logical and, uh, and very believable. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Ed Griffin.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure, a low
5: cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals.